your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great Friday, a great weekend coming up, a big weekend for movies. There's a lot of discussion about... Oh, basically how the Oscar candidate movies all seem to be failing at the box office. Well, do they deserve it? We're going to be talking about at least one of those movies that is held to be a major Oscar candidate. It is yet another version of the children's classic, Pinocchio. And I cannot tell a lie about this movie. We'll give you the full review of the new version by uh, Del Toro of uh, Pinocchio. We'll also be reviewing uh, Women Talking. Now, does that sound like an exciting film? It's been exciting to a lot of critics who are praising it enormously. It stars uh, Rooney Mara and Jesse Buckley and Frances McDormand. And yes, it's about women talking about what they're going to do about the terrible men who have made their lives a nightmare. And Empire of Light with Oscar winners, well, Colin Firth is in it. It stars Olivia Coleman, who is an Oscar winner. We will be reviewing that as well. We'll also be talking to Jonathan Allen coming up of uh, NBC News. He's the author of uh, the book Lucky, How Joe Biden uh, Barely won the presidency and we'll talk about uh, whether president trump should ex president trump sh and president biden should expect s some more luck for joe biden is that what the new primary schedule for the democrats is intended to provide and there's one fewer democrat uh, and what that means is still unclear but breaking news the uh, senator from arizona uh, Kirsten Sinema uh, has announced she is leaving the Democratic Party and officially re-registering as an independent. So what exactly does that mean? We'll speak to Jonathan Allen about that as well. But first of all, the entire country and a large part of the world has been extraordinarily excited, moved, uh, and emotionally involved with the case of Brittany Griner. And it, it, it is impossible not to feel sympathy for someone in her situation. Now, I don't want to say poor baby. I mean, she's a very gifted athlete, two times Olympic gold medalist with the women's basketball team. But uh, uh, there, there was a, a piece last night on CNN where one of the commentators was saying, she was forced into playing for that Russian team in Katerinsburg uh, because of the disparity between the payment of male athletes and female athletes. In other words, she was actually a victim not just of Putin and his KGB evil state, but uh, she was a victim of sexism and potentially even racism here in America because she didn't earn enough and she had to go to Russia to earn more. I think that's obviously a, a stretch. And the, the idea that she is only being released uh, or that people are questioning about her release because she happens to be black and she happens to be gay uh, married to a woman who met with President Biden. But uh, all of that identity politics issues, 
that really needs to be put aside when you have an American citizen and uh, somebody who has a, a strong following for people who follow women's athletics, and that's most American sports fans. Uh, I mean, uh, nearly as many as follow male athletic achievements. But uh, the idea that uh, she is less deserving of concern because of, oh, once upon a time she didn't want to stand up for the national anthem and she was one of many athletes who took that position. That's not the point. She got home, she got to Texas. Uh, this is a positive thing and may there be some momentum here that actually leads to the release of Paul Whelan and it's very tough. He, he actually was able to do an interview with CNN and uh, the Russians wanted to do that. There's a piece in the uh, uh, New York Times today suggesting that basically Putin has been handling the Brittany Griner thing the way he's been handling the uh, entire war in Ukraine with the idea that inflicting pain on the West will actually help him win major victories. I thought this was interesting. And it's amazing that the New York Times, with a uh, one-day strike uh, for over a thousand uh, news people, was yet able to come out with an edition today that had some information in it, some propaganda, as often. But in any event, they, um, they said the Kremlin pushed for more than a decade to get Victor Boot convicted in 2011 of conspiring to kill Americans released from prison in the United States but it was only this year with the arrest of uh, in Moscow of uh, the American basketball star that uh, it, the Brittany Griner that Mr. Putin actually found the leverage that uh, to get his way on Thursday, pro-Kremlin voices celebrated uh, Mr. Boots' release in a prisoner exchange for Ms. Greiner as a victory, a sign that no matter the desire to Russia over the war in Ukraine, the United States will still come to the table when key American interests are at play. Russia negotiated from a position of strength, comrades. Who said that? Maria Butina, a pro uh, Putin member of the parliament who herself served time uh, in an American uh, prison, uh, posted, um, she posted her comment about we are in a position of strength, comrades. Whether they're in a position of strength or not, it's worth looking back to who Victor Boot really is, this uh, uh, arms dealer a murderous arms dealer who was just released by the United States, traded in Abu Dhabi. They did the prisoner exchange for Brittany Griner. Uh, listen to 60 Minutes piece from 2010. Victor Boot, uh, in, in my eyes, um, is one of the most dangerous men on the face of the earth. On the face of the earth. Without a doubt. Mike Braun, the former chief of operations for the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, told us Boot first exploded on the scene in war-torn West Africa in the late 1980s. Elevating bloody conflicts from machetes and single-shot rifles to 
AK-47s, not by the thousands, but by the tens of thousands. So he weaponizes civil war in Africa. He transformed these young adolescent warriors into uh, insidious, mindless, maniacally driven killing machines that operated with assembly line efficiencies. Now 43, boot from the Soviet Republic of Tajikistan, is a mystery man who reportedly served in the Soviet Air Force and Intelligence Service. The U.S. has indicted him on four terror-related charges, including conspiracy to kill Americans. What makes him a threat to the United States? He is a shadow facilitator. He's arming not only designated terrorist groups, uh, insurgent groups, but he's also arming very powerful drug trafficking cartels uh, around the globe. Well, let us hope that they will keep an appropriate eye on uh, Victor Boot now that he's been exchanged. Uh, we will uh, be coming right back. We'll be speaking with Jonathan Allen of NBC about the impact of the party switch by uh, Kirsten Cinema. Uh, again, is this an echo of, uh, remember, Jumpin' Jim Jeffords, the uh, Republican from Vermont who changed the balance in the U.S. Senate? Uh, will this change the balance? Uh, not exactly, but it's significant. Why? We will be getting to that and to much more coming up on the Medved Show. Want more Medved? Go to michaelmedved.com or connect with him on Twitter at Medved Show. Michael Medved show uh, the FSB the uh, Russian Security Service uh, released video of Brittany Griner just uh, on an airplane just before the prisoner swap uh, with uh, Victor Boot and the video sounded like this Happy. <laughs> well, are you ready for long flight? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you know where I'm heading to? No. No? No. 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 no, no. You fly back home. To, to the U.S. To the U.S. Everything will be fine. <laughs> Again, uh, they, obviously the Russians are trying to make themselves look like compassionate, good guys, great people. And she had been sentenced to nine years nine years in a penal colony and uh, now she's home and she's being helped by the u.s government to try to accommodate uh they have a program that has been set up for people who have been the victims of torture or isolation and has she been made a victim by the russians there's no doubt but there's somebody else who uh basically feels that she has been victimized and has to make a very big switch in her life. Kirsten Cinema, who, uh, along with Joe Manchin, uh, has been the least uh, 
automatic vote for Biden and the Democrats, the most independent spirited senator uh, on the Democratic side of things. And uh, now she has announced she is leaving the Democratic Party. And in a Senate that is now with the election, re-election of Raphael Warnock, that it's uh, now uh, 51 to 49 uh, in favor of Democrats. What does this mean? She says, um, in a natural extension of my service, since I was first elected to Congress, I have joined the growing numbers of Arizonans who reject party politics by declaring my independence from the broken partisan system in Washington and formally registering as an Arizona independent, said the uh, 46-year-old cinema, who is, um, uh, she tweeted that early this morning. And uh, this is the way she explained her uh, decision to uh, Jake Tapper over at CNN. Uh, this is Senator Kirsten Cinema with her big announcement today. I've registered as an Arizona independent. And I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. Okay, uh, and the, the real question is, is she going to caucus with the Democrats? Because it does make a difference in terms of the way the committees are set up, whether the Democrats are actually back to now having uh, 50 votes, not 51. This would uh, extend, actually, it, it probably would mean if uh, she decided not to caucus with the Democrats. The, there are two independents right now. One of them is Bernie Sanders, who is still officially not a Democrat, but he caucuses with the Democrats. The other uh, is Angus King of Maine who caucuses with the Democrats. So if, if all of a sudden you have these three independents in uh, the U.S. Senate who decide not to caucus with either of the major parties, that would make a very significant difference. That would tilt the Senate away from Democratic control. This was a promotional video that uh, Senator Sinema released uh, announcing her decision. Listen. We make decisions about what's best for ourselves, our family, and our community. And so we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, is this a Republican idea or is this a Democratic idea? Is this liberal or is this conservative? That's not how Arizonans think. What we think about is, what's right for my family? What's right for my community? What's right for my future? There's nothing better than waking up in Arizona. Nothing. Nothing better than waking up in Arizona. Well, nothing better than waking up as an independent in, in Arizona. Now, what all of this means is still enormously unclear. In, in other words, are they going to go ahead and the Democrats now nominate another Democrat to oppose Kristen Cinema? And uh, would the Republicans then uh, actually think about 
endorsing Kristen Cinema, even though she's not a Republican, she's an independent. That happened, by the way, in reverse in Utah this last election because there was no Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate against Mike Lee. The candidate against him was an independent, Evan McMullen, who has a background as a, uh, a moderate Republican, and he's somebody who ran as an independent against uh, President Trump and Hillary Clinton in 2016, and he got a bunch of votes in Utah. But in any event, uh, the Democrats decided, okay, we have no chance of beating Mike Lee, so we'll endorse Evan McMullen, even though he had said he wouldn't caucus with the Democrats. And uh, the result was that, um, as with most incumbent senators, Mike Lee won, and it was not a particularly close race, and Mike Lee did fine. But uh, whether this is actually going to change the whole structure of politics in, in Arizona, and uh, will coming up now with a Democratic governor, a new Democratic governor. Yeah, no, sorry, Carrie Lake, that's not, not going to happen. Is is Kristen Sinema going to start a whole independent movement or try to do so in the state of Arizona? It's all it's all fascinating and uh, it's it's interesting and it's very relevant. But one of the things that is also very relevant to the situation that we're in right now is the fact that there's an aspect of the elections that we just experienced that most people don't acknowledge. And we're going to be speaking with, in moments, with uh, Jonathan Allen of NBC News. There's a piece from Harry Enton at another TV network at CNN. And he writes one of the most common refrains in politics is voters hate Washington and they want outsiders to be elected to office. But Senator Raphael Warnock's victory in Georgia's Senate runoff on Tuesday is part of a trend that suggests that at least in 2022, that wasn't true. Each of the 29 Senate incumbents who ran for re-election won. Every one of them. This year's Senate elections marked the first time in at least a century in which no incumbent senator up for re-election lost first time in a century, like in the Senate, incumbent governors across the board seemed to do historically well. There was just one governor who lost re-election, Steve Sisolak of Nevada, and that one loss marks the fewest losses by sitting governors in cycles in which at least 10 of them ran since at least 1948. So what does that mean? Are, are Americans less angry about the state of our politics than we thought? We'll talk about that with Jonathan Allen of NBC News, author of the book Lucky, about Biden's barely winning election last time. Coming up. And on the Michael Medved Show, it's always an honor to be joined by Jonathan Allen, senior national politics reporter for NBC News. He's based in Washington, uh, and uh, he's the author of the best-selling book, 
the definitive book about the Biden campaign. It's called Lucky, How Joe Biden Barely Won the Presidency. And we'll talk about Joe Biden's prospect for barely winning or substantially winning the presidency another time in 2024. First up, uh, the, the news of the day. Uh, it, it, it just seems to me it indicates something really very amazing considering what just happened in the midterm elections. Uh, Jonathan, we were talking before about how these were the first midterm elections in a century when there wasn't a single U.S. senator incumbent who uh, actually lost a drive for re-election. And that fact uh, does not indicate that there is a huge hunger for substantive change. Uh, and in fact, uh, one of your colleagues, Harry Enten at CNN, says it turns out that few voters seem to want to throw the bums out in 2022. Voters actually seemed ready to have a steady hand in government in which incumbency and uh, official uh, minimal change was favored. In an era dominated by the presence of former President Donald Trump, that's certainly notable. So what do you say, first of all, about the surprising notion that there were so few incumbents who actually lost? It's truly remarkable, and it suggests to me that after uh, years of voting against the maybe in some cases for chaos, uh, what we saw is the majority of voters in, in the key states uh, across the country uh, voting for the status quo, voting for stability. Um, you know, I think in, in a lot of cases, um, and it's impossible to run the counterfactual here, but I think in a lot of cases, uh, the Republicans would have been better off um, uh, if they had chosen candidates who were, um, uh, you know, more representative of the, the idea of at least uh, some stability. So, you know, change the, the party in power, uh, but not throw out the whole system. But I think that there were several candidates in competitive races that Republicans nominated, uh, some of them at the behest of Donald Trump, uh, who ended up being uh, incapable of competing in an environment in which uh, people are a little, uh, I think, a little reluctant to get rid of uh, what they have for what they don't know. Well, and what it comes back to is I've, I've thought of it this often because the first campaign I ever followed, and I was still a little boy, that I followed earnestly was the campaign of 1960 between Richard Nixon and John Kennedy. And the Nixon campaign slogan, it was Nixon Lodge, uh, and Lodge was a former U.S. senator, was someone who had been our ambassador to the U.N. Uh, they used the uh, slogan, Experience Counts. And uh, that always seemed, well, they were running that against a, uh, a senator who had been elected for three terms in, uh, actually for in Congress in three terms, and then for the U.S. Senate for a term in Massachusetts, John Kennedy. And the notion that experience counts, could it be that, that people really do think it is useful for some of the people we send to represent us in government to have governmental experience? I, I think it is, and I think, you know, uh, politics tends to move like a pendulum. Uh, I think that perhaps uh, the electorate decided it had gone a little too far toward uh, favoring change over experience. You know, we saw in 2008 Barack Obama ran a change campaign against Hillary Clinton and then John McCain, both of whom were far more experienced than him in government and 
uh, won that election. You saw Donald Trump, um, you know, in, in 2020 win uh, with that. I'm sorry, in 2016 with that. Uh, not just change, you know, it was a bigger than that, but he was effectively making an argument for change um, against a field of primary candidates with more experience, and then Hillary Clinton who had more experience. Um, and I think maybe what we're seeing is voters saying it's not that uh, change matters to the exclusion of experience, uh, that experience should count for something uh, in, in making these determinations. And you know, so maybe maybe that will get recalibrated a little bit. Okay. Meanwhile, that also brings us, when you talk about change and uh, experience, uh, you would think that Kristen Cinema would have a uh, would have a, a pretty good chance of getting reelected if she ran again as a Democrat, even though she has ticked off a lot of Democrats with her resistance to some Biden program items. But here she is this morning announcing she is leaving the Democratic Party. She's going to register as an independent. What does that mean, uh, Jonathan? First of all, is is that going to bring us back to a 50-50 Senate? Or actually, it would now be a 50-49 Senate, unless she decides to caucus with the Democrats. What do you hear? What's she going to be doing? Yeah, she's going to continue to caucus with the Democrats. This will not disrupt the... Uh you know, the, the sort of power arrangement in the Senate. If there's a 50-50 Senate, um, you would have a power-sharing agreement, so you'd have, you know, even numbers on the committees. That's not going to happen. Democrats will maintain their majority or will now have majorities on committees that have been uh, divided because they're coming in with one more senator in their caucus. Um, it means less uh, probably in the Senate than it does in terms of the electoral landscape in Arizona. And I think you're right. As a Democratic nominee, Kirsten Sinema would have had a good chance of winning re-election in Arizona. Certainly not guaranteed a very competitive state. What's really driving this is that she would have had a challenge winning re-nomination. Uh, there was a congressman, Ruben Gallego, uh, from Arizona, who has been rattling his state saber about a potential challenge to her. There are other uh, Arizonans that have looked at that, and uh, certainly a, a great deal of outside support for uh, a challenger to her in a Democratic primary. And so what she's saying is she's not going to run as a Democrat, which creates a whole lot of opportunity, I think, for Republicans in the state. Uh, it seems m much more likely that Democrats will be divided over uh, cinema than Republicans would be uh, over voting for uh, a Republican nominee or cinema. But, it, you know, it depends on who the Republicans nominate. Um, it depends on who the Democrats nominate. And I think it's probably too early to, to make any real conclusions about how that plays out. Um, it certainly would be interesting and uh, will gather a, a lot of the attention that is not the attention for the presidential race um, as uh, 2024 unfolds, assuming that she actually does run for re-election. What do you say about the uh, the departure from the Democratic Party of Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, I'm broadcasting for here today from uh, Oahu in Hawaii, which is her former base, where she's not well-liked. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard is not somebody who was tremendously popular in Hawaii, which is, I think, why she left Congress. But now she left the Democratic Party. Is she... Is she going to um, identify as a Republican? Is that the idea in future races? Yeah, I, I don't know what Tulsi Gabbard's going to do from here on out. I think what she found is that she had 
a little bit more of a constituency outside the Democratic Party than she did inside the Democratic Party, and maybe felt a little more comfortable outside of it. Um, you know, I, I think that there are some people who are very passionate and committed to Tulsi Gabbard as a political force, but it's a, a pretty small number. Speaking of political forces, there has been this rearrangement, you've written about it, about the primary schedule, and that may help uh, one candidate for president, and it's not Joe Biden necessarily. Uh, who is it? We are going to continue that conversation with Jonathan Allen, a senior national politi politics reporter for NBC News. He uh, is the author of the very uh, fascinating bestseller, Lucky, How Joe Biden Barely Won the Presidency. Uh, we will be right back on how uh, somebody else may be looking to win the presidency using the Biden revisions in the primary schedule. Coming up on the Medved Show. Want more Medved? Go to michaelmedved.com or connect with him on Twitter at Medved Show. Even though uh, it appears that uh, when you actually look at the votes and the number of incumbents who won a re-election, that's not unusual, but that's unusual for every single senator. This is the first time in a hundred years. Every senator on the ballot uh, running for re-election won re-election. Yes, including Raphael Warnock. And with all of that, there, there's also a surprising development right now, which is suddenly there's a completely different primary schedule for the Democratic Party. And Jonathan Allen of NBC News believes that that may help one particular Democrat who might very well be seeking the presidency. Who, who is that lucky Democrat, Jonathan? Uh, it's uh, it's Kamala Harris, the uh, vice president. Um, you know, look, first, first and foremost, uh, this was done to help Joe Biden. It means that anybody who would want to challenge him would have to come through him in, his, in the state that was the cradle of his victory in uh, 2020. But after that, Kamala Harris is first in line. I look at this as a sort of a majority of the majority situation, if you will. In most presidential elections in recent times, African-Americans have been uh, the majority of voters in South Carolina Democratic presidential primaries, and the majority of uh, those African Americans voting in those primaries are women. Um, this is really a, a, a nice setup for uh, Kamala Harris, who would be coming into a presidential race in 2028, or should Biden not run in 2024, um, you know, as an incumbent vice president or, or the most recent vice president of the United States if uh, Biden will lose in 24. Um, and so this is a real opportunity for her to get a, a springboard or a launch right out of the gate, especially compared to, um, you know, what the lineup currently is, which is Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, certainly not impossible for a black candidate to win either of those states, but 
um, you know, South Carolina is demographically designed for Kamala Harris. Um, it is a more conservative uh, Democratic electorate than, say, Iowa or, or, or even New Hampshire. But, um, you know, I think most of the analysts I've talked to have looked at this uh, lineup say that it, it really does give a leg up to Harris. And the way it's set up, it's South Carolina comes first, and then three days later, uh, they do New Hampshire and Nevada. And the idea being New Hampshire, an overwhelmingly white state, uh, South Carolina, uh, a not majority black state, but certainly it's very possible and usually the case that within the Democratic Party, the majority of voters can end up being black in South Carolina. And then you have uh, Nevada, which has a growing and very influential Latino community. So do you believe that this restructuring, and that is all the work of Joe Biden and his associates, is that designed to keep him safe from primary challengers in 2024? Or do you think he, he has uh, his vice president in mind, and this is kind of an indication that he might well be endorsing her as his replacement? I think that it is primarily about him. Um, you know, it's hard to judge who's going to be a candidate down the road. I think you have to assume that the vice president will do that. Um, you know, he was somebody who, as vice president, was very unhappy that the president not only didn't endorse him, but basically helped clear the field for Hillary Clinton in 2016, forcing Biden not to run when he did want to run. Um, and he may be sensitive to, to, uh, to sort of returning to a normal situation where a, uh, a president doesn't or harm their vice president, but actually is helpful. You came to know Joe Biden writing the fascinating book about the uh, the Biden campaign, which, uh, how can I say, uh, when people read uh, your, your book, Lucky, about the Biden campaign, it's obvious this was not a, a brilliant a juggernaut where every decision was well thought out and pre-planned. This was a a campaign where uh, President Biden was helped enormously by mistakes that his opponent made. And is your sense of where the president is now that uh, he is uh, likely to announce sometime, maybe next month, uh, maybe in February, but certainly early in 2023, that he is uh, going to be a candidate for re-election. Yes, yeah, all the indications I've gotten from uh, you know people who are close to the White House uh, and uh, well, basically people who are close to the White House or work there are that they expect Biden will in fact announce that he's going to run. He typically has you know some sort of family meeting around the holidays. Um, and then, you know, an announcement subsequent to that. I think I would be surprised if that happened before the State of the Union address. Um, it would be weird to announce the campaign and then and then immediately do the State of the Union. I think that order of operations there is, is important. Um, he is in a situation right now where he can, you know, politically, at least within the primary uh, arena, can, can pretty much wait as long as he wants. I mean, it, I don't think there are very many Democrats that think he could be beaten if he runs. I think there are some who are hoping he looks at the prospect of another four years in the White House and decides he'd rather spend time with his grandkids. Uh, but, you know, I would expect the first 
quarter of, uh, you know, of 2023. So sometime, you know, between January and March, probably, um, you know, after, uh, I, you know, if I had to, if I depend into a time, you know, probably not before uh, Lincoln's birthday, which is uh, February 12th. This has nothing to do with Lincoln's birthday, and I don't think I can uh, can really make it fit. But um, when when you're talking about uh, Biden and his relations with Congress, he let something go yesterday uh, where there was an overwhelming vote in the House for this military appropriations bill where the House people recognizing Republicans are going to be taking over. They did a, a much bigger increase in defense spending. It's over $800 billion. But they also did what Kevin McCarthy had wanted, which is they took away the uh, mandate for uh, members of the armed forces to get vaccinated. And I would have thought that the Democrats would fight on that. They didn't uh, with the with the vaccination mandate taken away now, as Republicans promised they would do for the military it becoming optional. Uh, why? Why do you think that uh, Biden did not fight on this issue? Was it simply he knew public opinion was against him? I think that's it. I mean, you know, I don't have any. You know, deep reporting on that right now, but I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that um, he is looking ahead to 2024, and uh, I think he is reading public opinion, and he also, you know, doesn't want this to be something that's forced upon him later. So to, you know, to kind of take it voluntarily when Democrats are in charge, and potentially, um, you know, if they don't get credit for it, at least. Um, it would be hard to blame them for, uh, you know, a provision that was done when they controlled both the House, the Senate, and, and the White House. Well, I think what, what's interesting to me is that um, th there isn't uh, the kind of alarmism that y you might expect. And the Democrats went along with it. The vote was th uh, three. Uh, it was it was uh, over 300 to only 80 votes opposed to this appropriations bill, which is a, a hefty boost in military spending, more in line of what Republicans want than what President Biden wanted. And when it comes to the question of the vaccine and COVID, what's fascinating is the statements coming out of the Biden administration saying, look, uh, most of the, the overwhelming majority of people in our military are already vaccinated, and they are sure that they will be vaccinating voluntarily in the future about which we will see. There's a great deal about which we will see. Uh, the uh, future of uh, Tulsi Gabbard, by the way, talking to people, there are all kinds of Republicans out there who are very eagerly supporting President Trump's already announced re-election drive and think he should uh, choose Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii as uh, his running mate, uh, which is one of those ideas that keeps people perking at night now so particularly now that sarah palin has left the scene she lost her congressional race in alaska uh coming up later in the show we are going to be covering uh, some of the big new movies of this holiday season there's always a big kids movie right for holiday season is the new pinocchio by benicio del toro the uh, creator of Weight of Water and other sort of dark uh, Pan's Labyrinth, other sort of dark and 
and alarming films. Um, is this uh, Pinocchio a treat for the whole family for the holiday season? Uh, well, we'll tell you about whether this is a, a gift that should be in the exchange line or cherished as a family heirloom. That and much more coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.